0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. (sighs) Father, we now approach your throne in recognition of the fact that you have made us to know you. None of us are accidents. None of us are random coincidences. None of us have been put here for any other reason than to know You, to fellowship with You, to experience Your goodness and Your grace and Your mercy and Your blessings, to be able to press in to knowing You, the King of heaven and earth. You've put us here so that we can experience transcendent glory in the fellowship with your son. That's why we're here, Lord, and we want to we want to press into that father because we confess this morning that we are professional glory robbers. We are proficient at exchanging what you've created us for. And going after cheap imitations of the real thing. And that's why we gather right now, O Lord, our Lord, please refresh our memories of what You've saved us to. Fill us with, with a fresh vision of the privilege the supreme privilege to know You and to be known by You and to walk with You and to be in relationship with You, O King. Do this through the declaration of Your powerful Word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Phil, uh, is one of your first acts of... Um, an elder, I'd like for you to come up uh, as an involuntary uh, involuntary volunteer here for a second. All right, okay, yeah, so if you'll just kind of stand right here in front of the the keyboard because you're going to be the official starter of the 200-meter sprint, okay, and so um, this is is me as a 200-meter sprinter, and I'm going to give you four different approaches to the 200 meter sprint, and Phil, you're simply on each time going to say, "On your mark, get set, go." All right. All right. I'm pretty sure that's not what they say in the official 200 meter, but whatever. That's what you're going to say. All right. So um, you just, you just, whenever you're ready, starter. Right. On your mark, get set, go. Uh, I um. I don't really feel like going. I would really just stay right here. Um, I'm kind of scared about what's ahead of me. I don't know if I've got the ability to run these 200 meters, and I'm not sure that uh, it's going to go very well. <clears throat> I, think I'll just, I think I'll just stay here. I like it better right here. Okay, that's number one. All right, number two. Yeah. <laughs> On your mark, set, go. I'm running. I liked it better back there. Um, I was more comfortable back there. It was a better, I, this takes a lot of work and a lot of strain. And uh, I've got people that are competing beside me, and that's making me uncomfortable. Um, I would, uh, what? Can I go back? Or, you know what? I didn't get a good start in the first place and so that's probably gonna hinder me moving forward, I should probably quit because I just didn't get off the blocks the way that I wanted to. Um, yeah, I think that's what I'll do, I think I'll just go back. Okay, that's number two. All right, number three. Any? mark, get set, go. And I like this race. Look at the crowd over there. I like the way they're looking at me. I wonder where the TV cameras are. Oh, they look at the shot putters over there. They're they're getting ready for their their deal. I always wanted to be a shot putter. Um, um, hey, mom. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Okay, that's the third runner. Fourth runner. On your mark. Get set. Go. I've got my eyes fixed on the prize. I'm running forward, I'm pumping my legs, I'm pumping my arms, I'm straining forward. I wanna win this race to get to the prize so that I can be the champion. And I'm keeping my eyes forward, I'm not looking back, I'm not looking to the side. I'm straining forward to the end of this 200 meters until the race is over. Okay, thank you, Phil. Okay, so, yeah, great job, Phil. You're going to be a great. You're going to be a great elder. You are. <laughs> All right. So, so you've got one runner who is stuck at the starting block. You've got another runner who is constantly looking back. You've got another runner who's distracted and kind of swerving. And then the last runner is focused and is straining forward to what he has come to to accomplish. And this is what I want to say in a, in kind of an awkward, uh, uh, funny way is that in some sense. Every Christian is in one of those four categories. I mean, there there are Christians who are stuck at the starting block, not not even getting off the blocks because they're fearful, they have anxiety, they are clueless, they have all of these thoughts and things going on, and so they just are at the block. And then other Christians are just constantly looking back. They, they might have got off to a bad start or a rocky start. Or even before they ever got off to a start, their life before a sprinter, their life before a runner was so rocky or they, they, they experienced such terrible things that they never can feel like they can just run forward as a Christian. And so they're always looking back. And then you've got those Christians who are... Just distracted, distracted by people, distracted by circumstances, distracted by responsibilities, distracted by hobbies, distracted by all kinds of things. But they're distracted and they're swerving while they're supposed to be running forward toward the prize of Christ. And then finally, you've got the focused. Christians, those who are straining forward, those who are pumping their legs, those who are leaning forward, they are thinking, focus on the finish line, the goal of the upward prize of God in Christ Jesus. And so this is my responsibility to you this morning. It's my responsibility to call you to a focused life. A focused life of training and straining forward toward the goal of the upward call of God. Now, Last week, we studied verses 1 through 9 very closely. We looked at 10 and 11 at the very end for just a minute or two. And in verses 1 through 9 of Philippians chapter 3, what I said was, if you want to experience the freedom and the joy that, that God has called you to in the Christian life, then you need to be marked by some things. You need to be marked by delight. Delight in the Lord. Like joy in Him. Delighting in Him because He is the source Of your salvation. He is the He is the reason and the fuel of your salvation, and so delight in Him. And then I said, You need to be marked by disdain. Can any of you remember the two things that you should have disdain for as a Christian? Anybody remember? False gospels and fleshly confidence. False gospels and fleshly confidence. In other words, you are not going to, you're not going to embrace any gospel other than the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And you're also not going to embrace that you've got this thing, that you're going, you're good enough, you're powerful enough, you're strong enough, you're godly enough to do this on your own, or that you can add anything to the gospel to make it better. And then we said there's got to be a dependence, a dependence on Christ alone for your salvation through faith alone. And so... Paul says that, and then he moves into verse 10. And so let's read verses 10 through 16 this morning. The title of the message is to know Him through pressing on. To know Him through pressing on. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So let me let me give you the big idea right off the bat and then we're going to walk through this passage, okay? Based on the context of Philippians 3, 1 through 9, what I want to say the big idea is this, is that justification by faith in Christ leads to perseverance in the pursuit of Christ. Justification by faith in Christ leads to perseverance in the pursuit of Christ. I want to say a word about that. Many quote-unquote Christians say that if you just believe that God has done it all and that all you have to do is trust in what God has done and it's no work on your part, it's, it's nothing that you can do, then that's going to create passivity. It's going to create a, a lack of desire to, to toil and to labor in your Christian life and to become holy because you're just all resting on God. And Paul takes this passage and says that is erroneous thinking. That is erroneous gospel thinking. And he's going he's to show you that. And so, this is what I want you to know that justification by faith, that is, depending on Christ and Christ alone for your salvation through faith in Him, and working and toiling and laboring and straining toward Christ are not at odds with one another. They're not at odds. You you depend on Christ for your salvation and you labor toward Christ in your salvation so that you can know Him and so that you can fellowship with Him and so that you can strain toward the prize of ultimately being like Him. And so that's the idea there. So what I want to do is I want to give you three instructions. Three instructions this morning to capture the heart of Paul in this idea of pressing on. Three instructions so you'll persevere in the faith. And the first instruction, church, is pursue Jesus Christ. Pursue Jesus Christ. We see it in verses 10 and 11, and the first thing that we need to do is pursue the knowledge of Christ. Notice I'm not saying pursue the knowledge about Christ, but pursue the knowledge of Christ. In other words, pursue intimacy with Christ. You know, the Webster's Dictionary defines intimacy as a close Familiar, affectionate, loving, personal relationship with another person. I'll say that again. A close, familiar, affectionate, loving, personal relationship with another person. And Paul is saying, I want a close, personal, affectionate, loving, Personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, I already have a relationship with Him, but I want to grow in my intimacy with Him. And so to know Christ is not to merely intellectually comprehend the person and work of Jesus. To know Christ is to learn Him, to comprehend Him, to enjoy Him, and to gladly submit your life to Him. That's what it means to know Him. And knowing Christ was Paul's ultimate goal in his life. Salvation is a relationship in which you really know Jesus. Not that you just know about Him. Paul is talking here in verse 10 when he says that I may know Him. He's talking about a supreme experience of intimate communion with Christ the Lord. So church, I want to ask you, what is the nature of your relationship with Jesus? I'm not asking you what is your standing with Jesus. I'm not asking you to tell me some facts about it. If we were to sit down and have a cup of coffee, could you talk to me about your relationship with Jesus while we drink an entire cup of coffee together? Because that's what Paul is getting at here. He's talking about a vibrant, personal, affectionate relationship with his Lord. He's saying that I may know Him, that I may experience intimacy with Christ. So guys, can, can you talk to others about how you have a real relationship with Jesus? Now, I suspect that many of you can but this is what I want to encourage you to. I want you to. I want to encourage you to press into that relationship with Jesus. Press into a real communion with the Lord Jesus where you talk to Him. He speaks to you in the Word. You meditate on Him. You listen to Him. He's going to listen to you as you talk to Him and you walk with Him day by day and hour by hour and minute by minute. Now you're saying, about how do you really have a relationship with somebody that you can't see? How do you really have a relationship with somebody that, that is that is in intense purpose is intangible to you? I'm gonna just, let me just give you a few little instructions here or, or principles. Learning Christ produces love for Christ. And so you've got to be committing yourself to learn from Christ. Reflection on Christ produces affection for Christ. And so I'm going to tell you what, you're never, you will never love Christ if you don't commit your life to learning from him and meditating on him. It's a, you're not going to get it by spontaneous combustion, all right? You, you've got to press into learning and reflecting and seeing Christ. And so seeing the glory of Christ produces delighting in the glory of Christ. And so, let me, let me give you an example. I, was, I guess it was a two or three years ago we were going through the Gospel of Mark. And as I was preaching through Mark, we got to that passage where Jesus encounters the, the leper. And the leper is, by very definition, unclean. And any time that an unclean person touches a clean person, the unclean person makes the clean person clean uh, unclean. Right, And I remember standing right here and us reflecting on that passage. But Jesus comes onto the scene and He experiences this unclean man. And the unclean touches this clean man in Jesus. And instead of the unclean man making the clean man unclean, the clean man makes the unclean man clean. And when I studied that passage that entire week and then I presented it to you, this is what the Lord Jesus did to me. He showed me, Ryan, you're never going to make me unclean. You come to me as much as you want and I'll make you clean. I'll purify you. I'll cleanse you. I'll make you new. And when I studied that passage for a week and I reflected on this person, this glorious person who makes the unclean clean, I became more intimately acquainted with my Savior. And I know Him better today than I knew Him before that week happened. And that's what I mean Learning about Christ increases your love for Christ. Reflecting on Christ increases your delight in Him and your knowledge of Him. But we've got to press in to understanding Him and knowing Him if we're going to be intimate and have a relationship with Him. All All right, so it's not just knowledge about, it's knowledge of. So pursue the knowledge of Christ, pursue the power of Christ. He says that I may know the power of His resurrection. Now, we talk a lot about that. I talk a lot about that. What does it mean to know the power of His resurrection? I'll just go ahead and and kind of give you a a definition. The power of His resurrection is essentially the life-giving power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. The power of His resurrection is the life-giving power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. Resurrection power flows from the Father It raised Jesus from the dead. It provides Christ with new strength. It proceeds now from Christ to the believer through the Holy Spirit as the life-giving force of salvation and sanctification. That's the the resurrection power. And so why does Paul say that he wants the power of his resurrection? Well, why would you not want the power of the resurrection, right? (laughs) Right? But he he wants it because he wants God's sovereign power. I mean, when when God the Father raised Jesus Christ from the dead, God is essentially saying, I have sovereign power over all physical forces. I have sovereign power over all spiritual forces. There is no principality. There is no power. There is no authority that is greater than my power, and I'm going to exercise sovereign dominion over that in raising my son from the dead. Hallelujah. Why would you not want that power? Right. That's right. So there is no power or validity to the Christian life apart from Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. Yeah. Now remember, Paul said, if our hope in the resurrection of Christ, is for this life only, we are the most pitiful people on the planet. Remember he said that. But he said, but Christ is risen from the dead. So we're not pitiful. We have the power of God running in our hearts and in our lives and in our bodies, and we need to claim that power. In Christ, we say, well, what what kind of power is there? There is power over sin, power over temptation, power over trials, power for love, power for service, power for witness, power for perseverance. We have power in our otherwise powerless lives. That's what we have. And that's why you and I, should count all things as loss, just like Paul does in Philippians 3, 1 through now. We, we count our power as loss, our strength as loss, our intellect as loss, all of these things that we were counting on, and we count Christ as gain, because in Christ we get resurrection power. Alright, so why did Paul mention the power of his resurrection immediately after he talks about uh, knowing Christ? And what he's doing is he is drawing attention to the power of Christ's resurrection in order to reveal to the believer how we, need, how we need to have this necessary strength to suffer for his name. Because look back down at the text. He says, essentially, pursue the sufferings of Christ. He says that I may know the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Now, some of your versions... Ben, you still use the New King James. No? Oh, you made the switch. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. That's right. All right. So, I think it's the New King James, maybe it's the NIV, says the fellowship of his sufferings. Some of your versions may say that. And that's an accurate translation. It's the word that many of you already know, koinonia. Koinonia. Fellowship with. And what... What Paul is saying is, is, I want fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. I want fellowship all the way to the death of Christ. What Christ endured at the hands of evil and ungodly and sinful and jealous and envious men, I want to participate in that. I mean, Paul's saying, I want some of that. You're like, why do you want some of that, Paul? Because I want to be counted as a follower of Christ. Yeah. Why, does this not fly in the face of health, wealth, prosperity theology? Paul makes his great aim to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the first thing that he says after that is so that I can share in his sufferings all the way to the point of death. And the health, wealth, prosperity gospel says you're supposed to be always healthy, always wealthy, always prosperous so that you won't have to suffer any of these things. And Paul says, no, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to suffer the difficulties of human life and the sufferings of persecution from people who hate Christ because I want to be counted in the same lump that Christ is being counted. And so, Paul is saying, I want to suffer. Now, I think probably most everyone realizes that Paul is not talking about, I want to suffer so that I can atone for my sins in some way that Jesus atoned. He's not saying that. He's simply saying, I want to be counted among those who suffer for the name and for the cause of Christ. John Piper has said, suffering is a path deep into the heart of God. God has special revelations of His glory for His suffering children. Some of you have suffered a lot. But unfortunately, you didn't understand this principle and so you weren't able to grasp hold of when you suffer significantly, you can know the heart of God more deeply. Right. Right. You can experience fellowship with Christ more strongly. And so this is what I want to call you to, church. Whenever you have a suffering, whenever you have a difficulty in your life, and it is persisting, and you are, you are persuaded and tempted to 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 think of something to just get rid of, to to, to get away with. No, don't do that. Embrace your suffering as a circumstance that you can know Christ better, that you can experience His love more deeply, His sufficiency more strongly. Some of you saw my tweet this week, um, so I'll repeat it here. I said, you know, life is hard. Life is hard. And the question that we need to be asking is not How can I make my life more easy? The question that we need to be asking is how how can I press into Christ in such a way that I have a diminishing reliance on my circumstances and an increasing joy in my unchanging Savior? Yeah, that's a good statement. And that's where Paul's going. He said, look, look, (laughs) You you can whip me 40 times. You can throw me in as many jails as you want to. You can deprive me of food, deprive me of water, deprive me of my friends, but you cannot deprive me of Christ. And so the more you persecute me, the more I can know Him. The more you harm me, the more I can know Him. And when I know Him and I'm suffering for Him, I'm going deeper and deeper into the heart of God. And you're thinking that you're discouraging me and all the while I'm being raised up and elevated into a stronger and deeper knowledge of Christ my Savior. And that's the whole goal of my life. So bring it on. Notice that he says becoming like Him in His death. He says, I... (laughs) I want to go all the way to the end to be like Christ and to be with Christ. Now, think about Paul and his theology of suffering and dying. In Romans 6, he says, We've been crucified with Christ. In Ephesians 2, he says, we've been buried with Christ. In Ephesians 2, he says, we've been made to sit with Christ. In Romans 8, he's saying, we've called to suffer with Christ. In Romans 8, he says, we've been glorified with Christ. Like, our union with Christ is real. It is strong. It is eternal. It's binding. We need to understand that language so that we can understand reality, church. The great missionary Hudson Taylor said, there are not two Christ's. An easy-going Christ for easy-going Christians and a suffering, toiling Christ for exceptional believers. There is only one Christ and are we willing to abide in Him? Paul's great ambition in this life was to know Christ. This involves understanding and experiencing all of Christ's resurrection as he shares in the sufferings of his Savior. And so now what what does he say? Look, he's saying, I'm pursuing the knowledge of Christ. I'm pursuing suffering for Christ. I'm pursuing now the glory of Christ. He says that by any means possible, verse 11, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is is an expression of great expectation. This is is an outburst of longing from Paul saying, I'm not there yet. I, I haven't... I haven't gotten to where I want to be, but one day I want to be right by Christ. I, I want to see His glory and His beauty and His holiness. I, I want to see the fact that He is sinless and what sinlessness looks like. And then I want to be able to, to have that for myself. And so I want, to, I want to see Him so that I can also be like Him in His presence. And, and He's saying that that's when the resurrection of the dead. Now, I, I want to make a clarification here. We believe in the resurrection of everyone. Some people are going to be resurrected to eternal death and some people are going to be resurrected to eternal life. And what Paul is saying is whether whether I live and then Christ returns and I see Him then or whether I live and die and then then ushered into His presence in in that form of resurrection, regardless of how it happens, I want to see Christ. And in seeing Him, I will have achieved my great aim, my great point. And so... Paul makes it his aim to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So, church, this is what I want to call you to. Pursue Christ. Make it your chief aim in life to pursue Christ. Pursue the knowledge of Christ. Pursue the power of Christ. Pursue sufferings with Christ. And even here, pursue the glory of Christ. Make it that your chief ambition in life. Okay. The second instruction I want to give you is press on in your pursuit of Christ. Press on in your pursuit of Christ. The chief call on your life today, church, is pursue Jesus. And in your pursuit of Jesus, you need to press on no matter what happens. And this is where he uses this running, athletic language here. And so the first thing that I want to say under this instruction is press on with humility. Notice he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Paul's being humble here. There, There are people in and around the Philippian church that are preaching this message of perfection. We've arrived. Listen to us. We we have come to a place where we are essentially perfect and you see it by the way that we live, you see it by the way that we speak, you need to follow us because we are all that. And Paul's saying, look, if anybody could brag about having arrived, it could possibly be me. But I just want you to know, when I write to Timothy, I don't say I was the chief of sinners, I say I am the chief of sinners. Like, I'm, I'm still presently working out my salvation. I have yet to arrive. Now, I may, be called up, I may have been called up to the third heaven. And, and I may have planted churches all over the Roman Empire that if people were to ask who their spiritual father was, thousands of people all over the empire would say, the Apostle Paul, I may have done some, some, some really good things for the glory of God, but I can tell you one thing, I have yet to arrive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there is significant danger when spiritual people believe they've arrived. Yeah. Yeah. We're always learning. We're always growing. We're always moving toward Christ and we can learn and we can grow from everyone who loves the Lord Jesus. Now there's a problem with spiritual pride um, because it steals glory from God. It eliminates dependence on Christ and it destroys, listen to me church, listen to me, spiritual pride destroys your ability to effectively love unbelievers and struggling Christians. Yeah. Like, I've been, I've been in the midst of Christians who are so theologically arrogant and who have all their, their I's dotted and T's crossed. And boy, they know all the answers to all the major questions of theology and doctrine. And man, they are so impressive. But they are so unwinsome to people who are struggling, whether they're Christians or not Christians. And I just want to tell you this. I'm just going to tell you straight up. I would rather be around Christians who don't know very much but love a lot than Christians who know a lot and love very little. Yeah. Amen. That's right. So press on with humility. Humility says, I've not arrived yet, but by the grace of God, I'm not what I once was. Right? I, I, look, I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I could be. I'm not what I ought to be, but at least I'm not what I used to be. I'm pressing forward so that I can be what God's called me to be. Yeah. So press on with humility. Press on with confidence. Look at Paul. He says, I press on. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. When and where do we see Christ Jesus making Paul his own in Scripture? Yeah, Acts 9. Acts 9, on the Damascus Road, we talked about it last week, Paul is headed toward Damascus, he's got, he's got his artillery, he's got his ammunition in his hands, and he's carrying his entourage to go and persecute Christians, and all of a sudden, out of the sky, the Lord Jesus Christ shines this bright light and speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? and he is dropped to his knees, he's blinded, he has scales over his eyes, and ultimately Saul, the Christian persecutor, becomes Paul, the Christian missionary. And church, that event in Paul's life was the, what's the word, the instigator, the galvanizing instigator of his whole life. Because this is the thing, this is what he said. I lived the certain way. I had the certain ambition. I was all about me. I was all about my religion. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, arrested my soul. He paralyzed me spiritually and physically and then He did heart surgery on me. He took out my heart of stone and my heart of flesh and He put in a heart uh, that loves Him and that beats for Him and now I have a new ambition and a new goal and it is to know Him and to make Him known and that happened to me on the day of uh, that I was headed to Damascus to persecute Christians, and this is the deal. My life has never been the same. My future is completely different than it once was. He arrested me on that day, and so now, so now because of what He did to me on that day, I'm going to press forward with everything that I've got because He pressed in to me. Hallelujah. Okay? Yeah. So, I think one of the reasons why Christians don't press on we waver, we get distracted, we look behind, and all of this, we don't either reflect on or understand the depravity from which Christ has saved us, the darkness from which Christ has saved us, and the condemnation from which Christ has saved us. But you know what, church? If you just pause for a moment, why don't you you go ahead and close your eyes? Why don't you close your eyes right now, and I want you to think about If you've been saved ask this question, Lord, what have you saved me from? I was headed in this way, Lord. This is where I was going, Lord. But you saved me from that. You arrested me from that. Okay, you can, you can look up. This is the thing. Paul never lost sight of the Damascus Road. Yeah, right. He never lost sight yeah. of who he once was and what he would have been apart from the arresting power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so, yeah. so he pressed on with humility, presses on with confidence here because of what God in Christ had done for him when he was yet a sinner. And so when this confidence... When I say press on with confidence, this is what I know. Do you think that Paul, having been arrested by Christ on the Damascus Road, having heard the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ coming out of heaven booming, having blinded Him, having commissioned Him and exchanged that heart of stone for a heart of flesh, do you think that Paul would question the Lord's ability to keep Him? Do you think you would question his ability to sustain him? Do you think that he would question his ability to uphold him in the midst of suffering and persecution? No! There's no doubting about it. And so that's why, church, I want to say... If the Lord has arrested you and He's changed you and He's done heart surgery on you, you've got no reason to question His faithfulness. You've got no reason to doubt whether or not He's going He's to keep you persevering all the way to the end. He's saying, listen, I'm taking hold of that which is taking hold of me. The Lord, He came down and arrested me and saved me and transformed me. There's no way I'm going to believe a lie that says I'm not going to persevere to the end. I'm going to persevere because I'm taking hold of Him who took hold of me. Amen. That's, right. okay, that, that's the idea. Yeah. So press on with confidence, church. Amen. Press on with confidence, Hallelujah. believer. Press on with forgetfulness and forward straining. Yeah. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So I say, press on with forgetfulness and forward straining. Now, I want to make two points about forgetfulness. I actually want to make a footnote comment before I make those two points. We're called to remember. Okay, We want to remember the Lord's faithfulness. We want to remember His goodness. We want to remember the fact that He sustains us. So this is not a totality of forgetfulness, but this is what Paul is getting at. When you're running the race toward knowing Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering so that one day you will experience ultimate resurrection with Him, he's saying you'll never be able to run that race if you're always looking behind you. If you're always looking back at the badness of your former life or the experiences of trauma that you had as a child or the difficult um, things that you had to go through or the bad decisions that you made or how you hurt other people and all of those things. He's saying, listen, you, if, if you've not gotten forgiveness from all of that, if you've not addressed that stuff, you need to address it. But once you address it, You need to leave that in the past. You need to move on from that entirely because if you keep looking back like this, then you'll never be able to run forward and strain ahead the way that Christ, and you'll never be able to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings and ultimately the resurrection because you're too distracted by what used to be and those failings. Now, Roger Land was a guy who no, was it wasn't Land, I, I can't remember, it was John Land who was running against uh, Roger Bannister. You guys remember they were the first two to run a four-minute mile, or sub-four-minute mile? And so they raced against each other in like this made-for-media event. These two sub-four-minute mile guys are racing against each other to see who the fastest miler in the world is. And so they, they start running, and, and Land is about ten paces ahead of, of Bannister going into the final lap. But he doesn't hear Bannister's footsteps. And so what does Land do? Does anybody know what Land did? He looked back. How do you think that wound up for old, old Land? Didn't end up well. He looked back. He got off, off of his pace and off of his mark and Bannister took the opportunity to pass right by him and beat him by five strides at the end of the race. Because he looked, hey, look, any runner, any real runner knows the last thing you do is look back. It will throw you off in a variety of different ways. And Paul would say the last thing you need to do, Christian, is look back. The last thing you need look at back at your failings or look back at your achievements. Look, look back at the things you've done wrong or look back at those awesome things that you've done. I mean, one of the worst things that I've seen in the church of Jesus Christ is Christians who have lived for a couple of decades. Loving Christ, living for Him, serving Him, teaching Sunday school or helping with the kids or doing uh, uh, backyard Bible clubs. And after about two decades, they say, you know what, I'm just going to coast. I had a Christian woman tell me one time, my, my time serving is done. We're going to let somebody else do it. And Paul said, what are, you, what are you talking about? That is not the Christian life. See, you don't rest on your laurels. You don't rest on your championships. You don't rest on your achievements. You keep pressing forward so that you can know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings and His ultimate resurrection. So press on with forgiveness and press on with forward straining. And I tried to illustrate it in the introduction, but the idea, church, is that you're you're an undistracted Christian. I mean... There are a lot of really wonderful things in this world. There are a lot of wonderful pursuits. There are a lot of wonderful organizations that do some great things. But the chief ambition that every Christian should have is to look at the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the race called life and aim for Him and attach everything that you do to that aim. So that I don't, so that I don't. I was going to save this for the end of the message, but I want to go ahead and say it now. If you're a mother, if you're a mother, your chief aim is not to be a great mother to your children. Your chief aim is to run With perseverance, the race marked out for you toward the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you run toward the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, you parent your children with excellence and love toward that same end. Okay, If you're you're single, and you've never been married, and you're a Christian... Your aim is not, I'm going to get married. I'm going to get married. I can't wait to be married and to be a husband and a father or a wife and a mother and to enjoy marriage. Oh, I'm aiming for this marriage. No, your aim is not marriage. Your aim is the glory of Christ and the magnification of His name. And as you're running toward Christ and you're aiming toward Christ, you get married. You say, hey, run to Christ with me. The same is true for every other calling in your life. Christ is the chief aim, and everything else gets to come along with you toward that chief aim. So press on with forgetfulness and press on with forward straining, being undistracted by the things around you. And press on with vision. He says, I press on toward the goal for the upward prize, uh, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And all those prepositions tricked me all week long, all right? So he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But what is interesting about those prepositions is that they represent something, okay? So you have, you have that preposition toward, which gives you the direction you're headed, right? And the direction you're headed is toward a goal. The goal is the what? The finish line, right? And when you get to the finish line and you finish first, this is race, kind of analogy here, what are you going to get if you finish first? The prize. You're going to get the prize because you finished first. You crossed the finish line first. And that's the idea is that you're looking at the finish line and you're toiling and you're straining and you're moving so that you can get the prize, which is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, which Paul could also say is the resurrection. I'm talking about that ultimate resurrection and glorification. And so you've got to press on with vision. Um, I also want to expose, I want to expose an issue. And I tried to do it with the running analogy where the guy never got off the block. And I think it's probably the, our culture kind of beats this into us. I don't know what all the other forces are that have made us think this way. But when I say the words, the Christian life, So many Christians don't think that there's like an end game to that. So many Christians think, well, you know, I'm just living my life. I've now become a Christian. I just keep living my life. And I just kind of do what I do and I am what I am and it is what it is. And Christ is saying, as soon as you become a Christian, you're in a race. And there's a finish line. And there's a goal. And there's a prize. And there's an ambition. And so... The moment you become a Christian, you enter that race and you go after it. You see it and you train for it and you work at it and you toil toward it. The Christian life, guys, is not just simply a beingness. The Christian life is a a workingness to it. It, there There is a direction you're headed. There is a place you're going. There is a way to work and a way to toil in order to get there. There is an end game. And that's what Paul is saying. There's an end game to this. Press on with vision so that you can grab the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, I'll take a breath. Press on in your pursuit of Christ. Let's let's look finally. Press, I'm sorry, practice maturity in your pursuit of Christ. Practice maturity in your pursuit of Christ. He says, practice maturity in your thinking first. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He uses that word think twice here. Twice. For it's a mindset. It's a way of thinking. It's an attitude that is produced by, by the thoughts that you have in your mind. So he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. I think I've said this three or four times over the last year. But one of the major problems with Christians is that we think too little. And we just absorb too much. Yeah, that's right. And Paul uses this word think twice as the bookend of saying that I may know Christ and the power of His resurrection. Listen, church, you're never going to know Christ if you're not a thinker. You're never going to experience the resurrection of Christ if you're not a thinker. You're never going to suffer with Him in a redeeming fashion if you're not a thinker. He's saying think. Put your mind to stuff. Dwell on. Meditate on. Fix your mind and your heart on something so that you can be shaped by Christ, And so practice maturity in your thinking. And so this is, this is exactly what Paul is saying right here. He's saying if your chief aim is not to know Christ, if your chief ambition is not to press on and toil and work and strive and strain toward the end game, which is the glory of Christ, then you need to be open to rebuke right now. You need to be open to be corrected and to change your direction and to change your thinking because you're not thinking like a Christian. You see, Christians think like this. That I may know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, that I might be conformed even to the manner of His death, that I might ultimately experience resurrection with Him. That's my chief aim. And so I'm going to toil. I'm going to run. And what I'm telling you is what Paul is telling you, is if you don't have that mindset today, you need to repent of your sin and you need to come all the way to Christ and say, I take on the same kind of mindset. And so practice maturity in your thinking and practice maturity in your loyalty. Look finally at verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Hold true. Hold true. This word was used first for military alignment. So, generals would say, they would use the same phrase, hold true, and they would get absolutely in line, in formation for their military operation. And nobody was to be staggered. Nobody was to be somehow out of line or too far back, but to be in complete line and formation. And Paul is now taking that and saying, you need to hold true to what you have attained. What have you attained? You have attained a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have attained redemption from your sin, the pollution of it, the power of it, and the penalty of it. You have attained to a hope of the resurrection. That's what you've attained to by giving your life to Christ. You need to hold true to that. You need to stay in formation. You need to get lined up and you need to be loyal to the king, to the general who has called you into formation. That's what he's called you to. And so church, I want to call you that today. And you got a lot of things vying for your time, for your loyalty, for your allegiance, for your affection. And I just want to say this if you have attained to a relationship with Christ, stay loyal to it all the way to the very end that you may experience resurrection from the dead. All right, uh, why don't we just have a time of meditation now? I want to bring it all together in a time of meditation. So, I want you to ask yourself a few questions right now before we sing. And I I, I want to celebrate today what Christ has done for us. And I want to celebrate the honor and the privilege to be able to press on with Him so that we can know Him better. But I want to ask you some questions before we do so so that you can take this thing home with you. You have resurrection power. What is that power presently bringing about in your life? Like Ask yourself that question. Honestly, what is resurrection power bringing about right now in your life? What is it producing? Second question Have you let your suffering press you into a greater knowledge of Christ? And finally, are you allowing the hope of your resurrection? To fuel every part of your life. Man, if you're giving positive responses to these three questions, man, the Lord is doing a massive work of grace in your life. And I bet if I investigated, I wouldn't see a lot of complaining, I wouldn't see a lot of bickering. I wouldn't see a lot of questions like, why me? What we would see is somebody who is inflamed for the glory of Christ and is pursuing the presence of Christ in their life. And I bet you're a joy to be around. Are you a joy to be around? And are people just edified and strengthened and built up in the faith because you're running and pressing on in the faith? Or are you bickering? You complaining? Do you have self pity? Are you unthankful? Because you think you should have it better. Chances are, if that's you, you either haven't gotten off the starting block, you're either looking behind you, or you're distracted by things on the infield or up in the stands. And your eyes are not on the prize. I call you to put your eyes squarely on the prize right now. And run. Run! Run to Christ while He may be had. That song, He Will Hold Me Fast, made me think of Derek Redmond Derek Redmond was a sprinter, and he had made it to the 1988 Olympics, and before competing for the 400, which was his, he had, at, I think at the age of 19, he had set the English world record for the 400, and so he was anticipating winning a, a, win, winning a medal at the 88 Olympics, and, and right before he, he ran, he tore his Achilles heel. And over the next year and a half or so, he had five surgeries. To repair his Achilles' heel, and he says, "I'm going to make it to the 92 Olympics. I'm going to make it, and I'm going to win a medal." And so he qualifies and does all of that, and he gets to the the, the 92 Olympics. And he and his dad are really close, and his dad is right there. I think it was in Barcelona that year, if I'm not mistaken. And so I, he he said they they had like breakfast that morning, and they were talking about the race. and And so Eric uh, Derek Redmond makes it to the race. He had already won, I guess, some some uh, qualifiers to get to the race, and his dad makes it into the stands and gets all the way to the top row so that he can look down at the race and watch the 400. And Derek Redmond takes his spot, I guess seven other runners in the 400, and he begins to run. And he's running. He's clearly going to make a medal. Whether it's gold, silver, bronze, whatever, he's clearly going to make a medal. And all of a sudden, Derek Redmond pulls his hamstring collapses dad's looking up in the stands what just happened he stays down he finally gets up and he starts hobbling on one foot like this all the guys are 20 30 40 meters away they're just and Derek redmond is, is just going like this and dad runs down from the top of the the stadium Jumps over the fence, security trying to go get him. And he said, that's my son out there. That's my son. And he grabs Derek's waist, puts his arm around him, and he carries him all the way to the finish line. And he lets him go and he lets Derek cross over the finish line. And then he embraces his son. When we say he will hold us fast, when we're running and we're pursuing and we're toiling and we're going hard after Christ, let us not forget that Christ is with us. That He's carrying us. We're going we're to tear our Achilles heel. We're going to pull our hamstring. We're going to do stupid things. We're going to say awful things. But Christ is with us and He's going to hold us fast all the way to the very end. Can I get an amen? Amen. Christ is with us. He's going to hold us fast. Let's pursue with confidence.